0: So this is Sarah Waite, I'm founder of Seeing, and you're listening to the Academy Developing Practice podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to the next episode of the University of Liverpool Academy's Developing Practice podcast. Today, myself, Alex Owen, academic developer, and Matt Davis, organizational developer, sat down with Sarah Waite, founder of Seeing. We had a great conversation about wellbeing, and we also got to try some of Sarah's meditation and reflection exercises, which you can all try out while you're listening along. We hope you enjoy our chat.
2: Hi, Sarah, we're really pleased to be speaking with you today. Um, just before we start, and we do with this with every single guest that we have on the podcast, uh, we'd like to ask how you arrived at the position and the work that you're doing now, and what drew you to the to the field?
0: Hi, it's really nice to be here today. Um, so I'm a psychologist, and that's what I studied at university, um, and I guess I got into it because I just found, I guess as most people do, I just found people fascinating kind of why we do things, why we don't. And, and I guess as the years have gone on, that I've become, I think that my practice um, personally and professionally has, has definitely gone in the direction of positive psychology, um, kind of moving away from looking at why people, why people struggle and, and more into the direction of like, well, what types of things could they, could they do to start to thrive more, to start to feel better more. Um, Because really, one of the things that the team and I really believe in is that is is kind of inspired by a a quote from the Dalai Lama, which is that happiness is not something that's ready made. It comes from our own actions. And I I think a lot of the kind of old assumptions around psychology were, you know, how much our, you know, the nature-nurture debate around, you know, what we're born with, what what kind of happens to us in early childhood and how that can impact our life. And there's the most phenomenal body of research now that shows that actually how we feel on a kind of daily and regular basis comes from the things that we do. And I, I quite like that more almost leaning into kind of coaching attitude towards things that actually, you know, we don't just have to kind of, accept our lot, or perhaps the kind of range that we were born with or grew up with, But there are kind of little, little and big things that we can do on a daily and regular basis to make ourselves really feel well. And, you know, on a personal and professional level, that makes me feel really hopeful that we're kind of in charge of how we feel.
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I guess then, I mean, positive psychology is, is, it's never been any more needed than it is at the moment. Um, are you are you doing a lot of work with a lot of a lot of companies, a lot of different institutions around this, or is this something that you're privately um, sort of looking at? It's
0: um, it's it's quite an amazing range of stuff that we do actually. So from working with companies, uh, we do projects with the government. Uh, you can imagine with Brexit in the last year we've been doing a lot of things with the government's legal team huh? uh, where the kind of word for positive stress which is literally spelled as EU stress you stress has been a, a touchy phrase um, but you know we work with we work with companies schools academic uh, institutions and the NHS and charities and I, and I think that's really helpful and inspiring really I think you know, in our little kind of segments and groups, there's the assumption that we're all so different, but really as humans, you know, they are kind of very, we're all having quite similar experiences. Yeah. Um, and it's quite nice to see that across different kind of areas. I think gradually what's starting to happen, which is a really positive movement in all sectors, is is more of a blending of... Kind of the personal and professional. Um, there's so much of what we do within work environments where people kind of wear masks, you know, almost have these like kind of professional veneers that we have to show up in this certain way, and that we can only bring certain things to work. And I think that I think that as mental health is is more on the agenda, there's more of an acceptance in work environments. that Actually, you know we do bring our whole selves to work when there's stuff going on at, at home in our personal lives that does come to work with us whether we want it to or not yeah. just like stuff you know stress from work goes home with us too and so you know to treat things in a way that we are more whole and and able to bring more of our personal lives into professional spheres is really really important because you know there's that little phrase like what we resist persists that kind of Pretending like something isn't happening, and and kind of putting on this veneer, that doesn't really help anybody.
1: No. And is that what we're talking about when when we're talking about well being? Are we talking about that holistic under, understanding of our lives where everything's interrelated, and if one aspect of our life is kind of out of kilter, then it has an impact on every other area.
0: I mean that's really true, isn't it? That you know we kind of often almost like compartmentalize things, don't we? But mm-hmm. but we are a whole and and it's impossible for these little segments not to kind of impact and, and influence each other. Um but it's it's kind of interesting because because what I find when I work with individuals and groups is that we even can't compartmentalize the week. You know, we kind of segment off Monday to Friday you know, from certain hours, but kind of really Monday to Friday is a block, like that's work. And then kind of Saturday and Sunday is is home, you know, personal life and fun. Yeah. And, and to kind of segment things so drastically is really not helpful. But what I find happens when we do that is that everybody's kind of like living for weekends, holidays, you know, term breaks, I guess, for you guys. And and almost just holding out until then and not really doing as much as we could do during the working week to actually make ourselves feel better so even segmenting things like that isn't isn't particularly helpful
1: i think that's really really interesting and do you think it there's something about today's culture that's making us do that that is having this negative impact on our our well-being
0: i mean i, th- I think um really feel like digitalization has been something that creates a lot of issues um, I think partly because we're always accessible so in the day and age when we used to be able to kind of literally switch off from work by turning our computer off and that was it until the next day yeah. um, you wouldn't you wouldn't ever be expecting a phone call on your home phone um, you know no, nobody could reach you via email at home and and now we are literally taking work home home with us in more ways than one.
1: And there's that Um, perceived expectation that we are accessible 24-7 as well, Whether, whether it's actually a reality or not. I think there's that feeling that, oh my goodness, my boss has just sent me an email, I should be accessible now and I should reply.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And really unhealthy habits as well, you know, because we have our devices on us all the time. And so there's, you know, a lot of research that shows that people kind of check their devices in the middle of the night or first thing when they wake up in the morning. And obviously that isn't conducive for kind of having the space that we need to kind of recover in and around work. Mm. Um, But I I think with digital, it also comes down to social media and the internet is that, we, we compare ourselves a lot, and we do this at work also, that what we often do is kind of compare our insides and how we're feeling to other people's outsides. And, and on social media, of course, that's kind of triple filtered, taking 50 photos to get one good one. It's, it's not a kind of fair comparison that we're doing, so I think, I think it's a mixture of this always on kind of pressure in comparison with with literally comparing, you know, and in combination with um, comparing ourselves to other people as well, which just leaves us not feeling good.
2: Yeah, I've spoken to people in the past to, and some of their um, sort of feelings around it are that selfies are bad for the soul, and I quite like that um, little phrase. I think that's I think that's quite accurate. But like you say, how how demoralising is it if you're taking 30, 40 pictures to find one that you, you feel are satisfied with, and that's, that can't be good.
0: Mm. One of one the things I find really interesting when you work in, um, when we do this kind of work in academic institutions and, and places like the NHS, but what you're working with is, is a kind of group of people who are experts in their field. And I think there's something really interesting when you work in kind of teaching and helping and support roles, that I think what happens is almost like transactional analysis gone wrong, where you get so stuck in that role, in that dynamic of you being the expert, you being the teacher, and the other people are kind of on the receiving end of that, that I think the the kind of becomes, when you're trapped in that mode, a real issue in that you get so used to being the person who's in control, who's the expert, who's the source of support, that it becomes incredibly difficult for you then to ask for help and support because there's quite a discomfort in that role shift. So you tend to see that a lot more in kind of academic places um, than you do in, in normal work environments, which I think is quite interesting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And just reflecting on my experience of, of working with academics in, in particular, often, you know, well, academics are high achieving individuals. They've done incredibly well in life. And then they're put into these roles where um, often there's, you know, so much pressure on them to continue achieving in terms of their research. They're also there in terms of supporting the students to learn and often there for the students in terms of a pastoral role as well. And there's so much pressure on colleagues and they don't really know how to handle that. Um, and also, as you say, often they, they don't know how to then express that, that they've got a concern or, or they don't know where to go for support. So I think there is a real problem with that.
0: Yeah. It's really. And it's so great to kind of talk about this kind of stuff um, in podcasts like this because it's it's so helpful to bring awareness to it, you know, to get a bit of common humanity around, oh yeah, I find it really hard too. Yeah. Um, one of one of the things, my team and I did a guide for the Guardian um, at the beginning of the year, which is kind of like a, um, I think we called it a joy audit um, in the new year special. And One of the things that we were kind of laughing about was how often we treat our well-being and happiness a bit like the good China, you know, for kind of like special occasions or weekends or holidays. And really... What I think is really important is kind of trying to figure out what are, instead of just kind of living for weekends and holidays or sabbaticals, what are the little things that you can do each and every day, each and every week? I had a really interesting experience last summer um, doing some lecturing with psychology students um, that were doing a semester abroad um, from the States. and. And, you know, sometimes when you're talking about things like this, it can feel quite emotional and, you know, because it can be quite revealing when you you think about some of these things. And what was interesting was that um, actually the the visiting lecturer got emotional on one of the days. And because she'd realised as we were talking about all of these things, you know, the little things that you can do each day and and each week to make yourself feel better. And she realised because she'd got a sabbatical coming up, But all of these like grand plans of kind of all of these creative things she wanted to do, this new exercise and and nutrition kind of plans that she had, she'd got everything on standby until her sabbatical. And it really struck her to realise that actually she'd got all of these healthy things on, on standby and kind of wasn't feeling great right now.
1: Yeah, and, and and does our culture perpetuate that? So, I mean, I've been really challenged by this recently. That I feel like I have lived in in an environment where it's all about achievement, and you know, I'm a mum, so looking after the kids and and making sure they have the best, you know, childhood, and and actually take it I mean I remember a a couple of months ago my friend and I actually went and had a spa day and I felt so guilty (laughs) because that's you know that's not what we're supposed to do it's almost like we live in a culture where taking care of yourself um, is a bit frowned on do you think or do you think we're changing that narrative a bit now
0: and it's a real fallacy that that kind of doing those things are selfish, it's actually a gift for everybody. And what's more so is that actually self-care also drives success. I think just there is this, there is something in, in kind of British culture at the moment where there's a bit of a pride in, oh, I'm really busy at the moment, or I'm really stressed, yeah, yes. almost as though it's like a badge of honor. Yeah. And and what's interesting is if you start to look at people who are highly successful, you know, Barack Obama, Serena Williams, Bill Gates, Richard Branson, when you look at what people these people do during their day, um, there's a massive correlation of of activities that they do but are kind of self-care measures. And so there's a lot of exercise going on. Um, you know, Barack Obama, when he lived in the White House, built a basketball court downstairs. Um, Richard Branson goes kite surfing nearly every day. He takes at least an hour exercise every day. Um, you know, so there's regular exercise going on. There's protecting family time, having me time, reading to switch off. Um, and all of these types of things, these things are not nice to have, these things are not a luxury, these are the things that make us not only feel happy and well, but also that make us feel successful because when we're feeling better, you know, we're able to, we have a greater capacity to learn, we're more creative, we're more productive, we're more focused and so, you know, These things are really, really important, not only personally, but also professionally.
1: I think that's brilliant. So talking about self-care, you've given us a whole list of really nice ideas there, because just thinking on that, you know, you and I, first of all, talked about going to on a spa break. I'm guessing that spa's on your most popular although i might be very stereotypical there maybe you do hang out at spas i don't know but actually you've given us some really nice ideas there in terms of self care doesn't have to be going and sitting in a jacuzzi it could be you know going for a run it could be playing basketball it could be reading it's you know what are we looking for in terms of labeling something as self care
2: just before sarah answers the question let me just i think um, men's self-care is different. So, for example, I go to the football at, at a weekend, um, and that's like a release. You know, I watch my team Port Vale perform well, actually quite well at the moment. Um, and he had to get that in. Yeah, I normally <laughs> say but I watch them uh, play, and it's uh, and that's a bit of a release. And and that was just um, and that's my sort of way of looking after myself. Um, because I'm out and I'm doing, I'm so I'm socialising, I'm I'm involved, I'm watching the sport, I'm you know I'm doing the things that that, that make me happy, um, and that was just leading on to something else as well because there's um, going to these football matches now I see a lot more um, a lot more campaigns around getting men to to open up. Um, I think every every team in the uh, EFL is sponsored by Mind, um, which is obviously the mental health charity. Um, and that's making a real impact around sort of trying to break down some of those stereotypes around men being willing to talk. What, what do you think about that, Sarah?
0: Absolutely. That's that's a really great example. Um, it's really funny because often when kind of self-care or self-love or self-compassion, often when that's written about in the press and magazines, it's often, you know, I kind of have a little smile to myself because it is often the kind of spa breaks and the kind of candlelit baths. And those, you know, are a lovely thing, but it's only part of it. Um, You know, as as Matt said, that it can be all kinds of different things. And, And really when it, you know, there are all kinds of different models for happiness and wellbeing. Some really famous ones, but really the most important thing is to know what you value and what you need, and kind of make that happen. We're all totally different, you know. Whilst I'm a massive advocate of meditation and have been doing that since my teens, I know that's that might not be everybody's choice. Um, so yeah, absolutely. Like finding stuff that that works for you is is huge and. It's so positive isn't it to see um to see kind of more initiatives to, for men because whilst I touched on how women can kind of struggle with the uh, with taking time out and that feeling like a selfish thing particularly when they've got families for men there are there are you know different challenges too and and it's really interesting how you know it's start it's so positive that that's starting to change now, but it's It's been a long time, hasn't it, where men haven't been encouraged to talk and it's really, really, yeah, it's really great to see in kind of certain workplaces and in more like traditional kind of male environments like in football to see kind of yeah, mental health advocacy. It's really important.
1: I've been having a little look at some of the literature around um, well-being and it seems to fall into three kind of categories you know one category to do with your mind so your mental health stress breath work, all of, of that kind of stuff. And then the second category is to do with your body and um, engaging with exercise and nutrition. And then finally, to do with the kind of social aspect of well-being, so making sure that you kind of connect with people. Um, there's some work around the use of gratitude, um, that kind of thing. Have I got that right in terms of those three key areas to do with well-being?
0: I mean, that's, that's a really. You know great summary um, there are so many different ways that you can split this um and there are some amazing um kind of happiness and health and positive psychology models um from the likes of like Martin Seligman, who's kind of one of the you know big advocates of positive psychology with his perma model um there are all different kinds of things that you can do there are kind of quite big categories, I guess, you know, as you were saying with relationships, it really helps us to connect, you know, to talk and to listen and to feel connected and cared for is really important. Um, and and there are lots of kind of um, things around that. So kind of being active, taking exercise is really important. Um, being more present, taking notice, so kind of bringing more mindfulness into your life, bringing more gratitude into your life. Um, learning, so you guys are in a perfect environment for that. There that was that. a massive correlation between uh, happiness and people who are kind of lifelong learners. Um, giving your time, uh, making sure that meaning and purpose are a part of your life. Um, achievement, That there, there are literally, there are endless kind of almost keys to happier living but really i'd say the one thing is that you need to know yourself you know you you can look at some of these lists and i'm, I'm happy to pass those references on for some of these happiness models they can be really inspiring but it's not about kind of seeing the list and making sure you tick everything off it's about knowing yourself knowing what you value in life in general and also knowing today and in this moment right now what is it that i need
1: yeah i guess it is it's understanding for you how they're all interrelated as well i mean if if i think about myself if you know, if if I'm not exercising, I know that has a massive impact on my feelings of stress, for example. Or, you know, if I'm not connecting, I'm not finding enough time to connect with my family, then my mental health isn't as as strong as it could be. So I guess it's, as you're saying, knowing yourself and and knowing how those kind of three areas of mind and body and social all kind of impact each other, which I guess will be different for everyone, right?
0: Yeah, and I think, you know, I mean, there are endless articles, amazing books and apps about all this kind of stuff. It's a real industry now, I guess. And I and I think, you know, one of the things that the team and I really get people to do is to really think about like well, what does that look like for you? Mm-hmm. You know, we're all slightly different, we've all grown up differently, are, you know, and and what the research shows is that you knowing what works for you and picking something is much more is going to be much more effective than if you know somebody who's who's an expert in the wellness field picks something for you because you know your life best, you know yourself best and what's likely to work on a long-term basis. So whilst it's really great to use all of the stuff that's out there as inspiration, it's also important to know yourself. And I guess there are a couple of different ways of, of doing that and maybe we could maybe we could give a few of them a try. So one of the techniques that we use a lot um, we do this everywhere whether it's in a law firm working with the government uh, and working with young people in schools is, is checking in with yourself and understanding how your internal weather is. Um, and what's interesting about this technique is very, very simple. So even a child could could explain what their internal weather feels like, or we often get them to draw it so that the kind of teachers and caregivers get um, a visceral kind of feeling for how, they're, how they are. Um, it start, it's, it's a kind of really lovely opportunity for us to check in with ourselves and using the weather analogy, which Brits are huge fans of talking about, right? It gives us words to kind of hint at what's going on in our life without, for example, in a work environment, needing to say what's going on exactly. You might want to give it some context, um, but you might just want to leave it that it's a foggy day and just kind of let that sit with the team, that actually the more that we understand each other better, we're going to be more compassionate and supportive. So I feel like like outside, today's a really, really sunny day. So I woke up feeling really kind of sunny and hopeful. Um, I love all of the things that are in my day, but I think it's feeling a bit windy just because today's had like three back-to-back things in. And whilst they're all things that I love... Just your mind is kind of distracted, isn't it, when you've, when you've got loads of things to do in a day. So I think sunny, but kind of blustery winds.
2: Brilliant. What about you, what about you
0: Matt? OK,
2: so uh, I guess I'm going to put my weather. You know those really early, crisp sort of spring mornings um, where there's a, still a bite in the air, um, but it's really, really bright outside? But because it's the spring, it's been quite wet overnight, and you've got that mist coming off the grass. Yeah. Yeah. So that's my day at the moment. I sort of feel like there's, uh, it's going to be really, really bright. But because there's still that, that uh, dew coming off the grass, I can, I, I've still got some things to figure out, some stuff, stuff to work through.
0: Nice. What about you, Alex?
1: Um, Mine, I definitely, very similar to yours actually, I had a lovely sunny morning um, because my day was filled with exciting things. I love recording these podcasts. Um, I think I've said it before, mainly because I'm nosy, and I just love hearing people's experiences and hearing their views. So I was excited about this recording. I have to say, in the middle of the day, there was a bit of lightning. Um, (laughs) I was hosting, I've already told Matt about this, I was hosting a workshop. Um, with one of our brilliant mathematicians at the university and in the middle of the workshop he got us to do a maths test Which was a little bit panicky for me. So that was a bit like a thunderbolt Um, (laughs) But other than having to do a maths test on the spot in front of one of our um, Mathematicians, I've had a really sunny Lovely day and I'm going out with my husband tonight. So again, I look forward to doing that Um, Yeah, I feel sunny actually today
0: That's really great and so that kind of technique is, is something that you can do with yourself, with, with people that you live with, um, and it's such a good one to do with colleagues, you know, at the beginning of a team meeting, or maybe at the beginning of the day, um, or kind of in smaller groups at work, and it doesn't always need that context. Although, you know, sometimes as we've kind of done this in in organizations, people have said, you know, feel like there's a hurricane coming through the office and, you know, with all the deadlines that they've got or, um, you know, one lady kind of said that it was like bright blue skies, but there were kind of clouds coming and she'd just come back off honeymoon and not everybody had known that. And so kind of, you know, coming back with all the joys of honeymoon and then just kind of like, dreads of work deadlines creeping in a little bit and so really that exercise is really helpful not only just to check in with ourselves and like know what's going on with ourselves but also so that other people are aware of that but it helps us connect with others, and it also helps us kind of be a bit more compassionate and supportive. That our emails and our actions and the work that we gave people and how we treated them would be massively different if we had a little bit of context as to what was going on with them.
2: Earlier on, Sarah, you mentioned that you've been practicing meditation since you were in your teens. Was that right? Yeah, that's right. Okay. So I've, I've tried meditation. And I, have, I didn't stick at it. I, I really, and I did give it a go. Go. I mean, I spent, I spent some money on the Headspace app, and I really tried to give myself every single day that, uh, that bit of me time, and tried to focus on me and focus on my breathing. But for some reason, I just didn't stick it. Um, so I just, I'd just like to un- understand your thoughts around meditation and why you've practiced it over the years and what you get out of it.
0: It's, I mean, it's a slightly different experience for everybody, really. I think, um, for me, it's something that, in, in a similar way to the internal weather, it's, it's a way of, of checking in with myself. Um, I think one of the reasons why mental health is, is such an issue is that we, we kind of only notice we're not feeling well when we get burnt out or, you know, when we get ill, which is often connected, right? Yeah. And so kind of the more often that we check in with ourselves, whether that's through meditation or, you know, journaling and writing or techniques like internal weather, we give ourselves the opportunity to know what's going on with ourselves. It's funny because, you know, all throughout the day, every day, people ask us how we are. And, and we use it like a greeting often.
1: Yeah. Yeah, um, people don't really want you know, to.
0: know, and we you and we give kind of nondescript answers that actually have nothing to do with how we're feeling. You know, we'll say, "Oh yeah, good, not bad," which is one of the worst. It's mm. you know, we kind of give answers to how are you without really checking in with, "Oh, how how am I?" So actually, it's a really it's a really helpful question, and actually, if we started to all answer that question more openly and honestly we'd be able to head off kind of burnouts and illness a lot faster. There are different stages to meditation. So you start off and you'll be paying attention to your breath. And at some point you'll get distracted. And if you've got a really busy week or day, your mind will be especially distracted. So it will get distracted really quickly. And um, and you won't even realize it. It, You know, you almost go into a bit of a mind black hole and at some point you will realize that you've been distracted and drafting an email in your head or kind of almost head in a next week's meeting and then what you need to do is once you've had awareness which is a great thing like oh I've just been daydreaming or planning dinner later you just kindly return your focus what I find is at this stage when most people realize that they've been kind of planning dinner or daydreaming about lunch what they do is just pull themselves back into a distraction loop by beating themselves up. Like, yeah. oh, I'm really not mm. good at this. Yeah. This is really hard. Oh, I'm no good at meditation. I'm rubbish at this. You know, really kind of beat yourself up, and that isn't helpful. All you're doing is kind of pulling yourself back into kind of thinking, and at some point you're going to realize, oh, right, I'm not meditating. Okay, I'm just beating myself up. Yeah. So, you know, there's kind of four stages. You're focused on something, You will get distracted, and that is just the nature of the mind. That's nothing wrong with yours or anybody else's. That's just how minds work. And at some point, you'll be aware that you've been distracted, and you just kindly return your focus. Now, all of that is the cycle of meditation, that whole thing. And actually, the most beneficial bits are noticing you've been thinking or daydreaming, and then pulling it back, that's the discipline that starts to rewire your brain. That's the most kind of beneficial bit of it. Should we give it a little try? Sure, sure, let's give Shall it a we go. do a little short one, all of us, and for everybody listening in as well? So just wherever you are, just finding a comfortable position, maybe uncrossing your legs, just seeing if you can wriggle and just get really comfortable wherever you are. And just starting to pay attention to your breath. And so we're not changing the nature of the breath in any way, but just noticing every peaceful in-breath, every peaceful out-breath. Every nourishing in-breath, every nourishing out-breath. And of course, the mind might get distracted, and that's just normal and natural. Just returning your focus each time, just gently coming back to the breath, knowing that each time you do so, you're training your mind. Just noticing how your body is nourished on the in-breath, and how your body relaxes with the out-breath. Just letting your body breathe you, just noticing the rhythm of your breathing as it flows in and flows out, just feeling your whole body just gently moving with the breath like the movement of the sea. if your mind wanders like a curious puppy, just when that happens, just returning to the rhythm of your breath. Just giving yourself over to your breathing. Just breathing. And just wherever you notice the breath most in your body, and so that might be in your nose, might be the back of your throat, and as the wind goes down your windpipe, it might be noticing the air as your lungs and your tummy move in and out. Just wherever for you, you can notice the breath the most. And now just gently releasing your attention to your breathing and just letting your mind do whatever it wants to do. When you're ready, just slowly and gently opening your eyes. How was that?
1: yeah I really enjoyed that I have to say I I do something very similar to that on the train on the way home um, each day and I use an app for that and I just picking up on some words that you said earlier about just having feeling a little bit happier feeling a little bit calmer um, just as I feel now off the back of that I I use meditation in a very low-key way um, to just achieve that after you know a busy stressful day at work Um, just having literally, you know, 10 minutes on the train where I close my eyes and do something very similar to what you've um, just led us with has a really, really positive impact for me. I don't know about you, Matt.
2: Oh, I feel very chilled. I think you could do this for a living, Sarah.
0: (laughs) I'd love to. (laughs)
1: Brilliant.
0: Yeah. It's a really lovely thing and it's an interesting one because I think sometimes people, um, you know when when we kind of get a space for ourselves that sometimes you know these things give us they give us a really powerful feedback loop and so you know if we're really tired you know kind of physically tired mentally tired sometimes meditation can make us feel really sleepy Mm. um if there's loads of stuff going on then our minds will be really busy you know there'll be loads of thoughts buzzing around and we'll have to really you know, bring it back, you know, be really kind of diligent, almost like trying to train a wild horse, like just really as it kind of runs off, you're like, okay, just bringing it back. Um, exercise, some meditations are challenging, some workouts are challenging, right? And so sometimes it kind of feels a bit like training a wild horse, that it kind of keeps running off. You just need to kind of gently keep bringing it back. And this feedback loop is a great thing. You know, meditation doesn't make you feel anxious or it doesn't make your mind go, get really active. What it does is it helps you pay attention in a removed way to what's going on. And just like with the internal weather technique, actually all of these things are so important. We just need to check in with ourselves and see how we are. And of course, you know, the more you do meditation, there's such a multitude of um, of benefits to it from kind of physical, mental, you know, emotional and, and relational kind of benefits. There's endless research about the benefits of meditation. Um, and, and one of them really is to kind of know yourself better. Because if during meditation you notice that your mind is really busy or that maybe you're feeling... A bit anxious or a bit tired, then we need to do something about that. If we kind of keep living for weekends or term time, then then it's, it's quite obvious that we're kind of going to come crashing down at some point because it's not sustainable to be kind of on 24-7 every kind of waking hour.
1: So some really helpful kind of um, thoughts there about um, self-care and well-being to do with our mental well-being. We talked a little bit about how some of the literature points to the importance of our physical well-being as well. Can you can you talk to us a bit about that in terms of um, how busy colleagues working in HE could support their kind of their physical well-being, their, their bodies?
0: What I find happens a lot is that as we were saying earlier, that the work week is almost this untouchable block and then we end up living for weekends and holidays and really the people that feel happiest and healthiest and kind of physically and mentally are the ones that manage to integrate things that make them feel well throughout every day. Um, So instead of kind of just treating it as like, that's my work day, that's my work week, these are the fun things I do in my free time and having those as separate but kind of having more of an integrated approach. And so, you know, Alex, it sounds like you use your commute really well in kind of using that to like meditate. There are loads of ways that we can use our work commutes. Obviously, I don't recommend driving with your eyes closed. But (laughs) if you're taking public transportation, that one's good. Um, But you know, there's all kinds of positive ways that we can use our commutes. It could be that we can read to switch off or to kind of enjoy learning, um, which is proven to make us feel happy. It could also be that we slightly change our commute, so, you know, instead of driving every day, do you cycle in sometimes or do you get off the bus or the train stop one stop or a few stops early so that you can have a bit of walking and exercise and fresh air? I think, you know, there's ways of kind of using our commutes more creatively. And then maximizing the kind of little breaks that we should be taking, that we often kind of tend to sit at our desks for long periods of time, but any kind of research around concentration spans shows that actually nobody can do that. It's impossible for us to sit down for hours and hours at a time and, and stay focused and effective. And so actually giving ourselves little breaks, whether it's going to make a little cup of tea, whether it's having our lunch away from our desks, whether feeling a bit kind of fatigued in the afternoon, you just say decide to take a little walk around the block or to a nearby park. All these little things that we can do throughout the day in the working week are what make us feel really well.
1: There's been some um, research done, hasn't there, about the impact of natural light On well-being and that idea of just getting out you know even for a 10-minute walk around the block can do you a lot of good you know when we're cooped up in offices with electric lights the whole time is that right
0: yeah absolutely so vitamin D can make a massive difference to how we feel and of course you know in in winter months you know sunshine is much harder to come by so when you get days like this when Mm. you've got sunshine it is important that we get outside and and Give ourselves that kind of vitamin D hit, absolutely.
2: And so, finally, what about the social side of well-being? I mean, what what do we mean by this? I mean, have you got any ideas for our colleagues at HE, or actually anybody who's listening? Do you think there's something, anything we can put in place in the workplace to aid uh, connectivity to have a, an ultimate effect of increasing uh, people's well-being?
0: I mean, yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, relationships and connections that we have with people are really, really important. Um, and and interestingly, kind of, um, one of the things that is listed that's really important for human emotional well-being is intimacy and not in a sexual sense in the way that the words often used, but in terms of like somebody knowing and seeing all of you, kind of loving you warts and all. Um, And what's interesting in this kind of day and age is that we're kind of creating almost like personas of ourselves online, which means that experiencing intimacy, particularly for young people who've kind of grown up with with social media, becomes increasingly hard to come by because if what you're getting seen and literally liked for is, is avocados on toast. <laughs> that isn't mm. who you are. That isn't what you are. Um, and and so, you know, we can only experience um, the lovely feelings of intimacy and, and being, you know, loved wholly and appreciated, you know, in work and beyond. If we bring more of that kind of full spectrum of, of experiences and emotions with us, um, if what we're doing is kind of in a high functioning space and kind of only showing bits of ourselves like high functioning bits of ourselves, we're actually not um kind of respecting ourselves or allowing the experience of intimacy to to happen and so I think bringing more of ourselves to life and bringing more of it to work is really really important, and I think that's kind of taking the time to connect with colleagues is is really important, you know, having those lunches out together, enjoying the weather and maybe catching a walk or having walking meetings, um, doing things outside of work environments is really important because we spend such a high percentage of our time in work environments and, and with the people that we work with, that kind of really investing in those relationships and really knowing and understanding each other is, is really important.
2: I'm definitely up for some walking meetings, Alex.
1: Okay. Can we do some eating meetings as well? Yes,
2: definitely.
1: I like the idea of going for lunch. That's my
2: we...
1: my kind of thing. But one thing we have done um here which we're really enjoying is we've kind of started a kind of lunchtime book club Sarah so uh, we send out kind of like a chapter or an article um, in advance and people read it and then we get together kind of with our lunch um, in a really informal way really just to kind of build relationships just as much as discuss um, you know a topic that people are interested in so I guess there are things like that that people could do at work to kind of build that social side
0: absolutely that sounds amazing that sounds like such a good initiative and i think you know certain people are kind of good at being the connector or good at having these ideas and inviting other people and i i think it kind of takes people like that in each kind of team and department to kind of be the initi- initiators yeah, okay. just kind of having like little experiments and trying different things
1: yeah and and i guess for some workplaces that that just isn't going to happen so I guess is there also you know some importance in in looking for a kind of social aspect outside of work I mean if I think about my life um, I go to a book club outside of work where there's very little discussion around the book um, but a lot of laughing you know friendship building um, I always come away from our my book my private book club outside of work you know, feeling relaxed, feeling like I've I've had a nice time, feeling that I've connected with people. Um, I I guess it's finding social experiences outside of work as well, which are important, and that doesn't have to be a book club. You know, it it could be anything.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's so important to kind of know what makes us happy and pursue those interests. And so, you know, above and beyond all of the kind of happiness and well being models that there are in the world, it's really again coming back to like knowing yourself and and what makes you feel happy and healthy and well and making that happen in your free time and, you know, if we pursue our interests, you know, whether it's kind of reading or learning or running, there are so many kind of communities. I think one of the challenges in modern day life is that because we don't live in, you know, kind of family and community, kind of almost like tribal structures as much anymore, that, you know a lot of people feel immensely lonely so it's kind of first tuning in with yourself figuring out what it is that you need in that day in that week and and making that happen you know because it's great to spend time kind of writing and journaling all of the things that help you have to diarize it and what I find when it comes to self-care is that we can often be really lax about that we think oh you know I'll go running sometime this week, or maybe yeah, maybe now we go for a swim, or maybe I'll read a bit more this week. But if we don't diarize it, it tends to get sacrificed when, when be- weeks get really busy. Yes. Um, so kind of honouring those commitments to ourselves as fiercely as we would to you know to colleagues, to friends, to family members, it's really important
1: absolutely i think that diarizing thing is definitely something that i've learned over the years that if i don't put it in the diary i just won't do it you know life takes over doesn't it so um i think when we talked last time i, I told you that i usually get up at 5:30 each morning and go for a run and, and people think i'm crazy for doing that but if i haven't diarized it if i haven't set that goal for myself. I I just don't do it because I think, oh, I'll do it after I get home from work. But actually, once I get home from work, I'm exhausted and there's the kids and, you know, life goes on. Whereas actually setting that in my diary that every morning I get up at 5.30 on a work day and I go for a run um, is really important to me. And the benefits from doing that physical activity, getting outside in the fresh air um, set me up for the day. So. Um I can totally relate to that idea of putting putting stuff in the diary and and holding yourself accountable to that
0: yeah, that's such a great example alex it's It's really interesting you know a lot of people kind of experience like Sunday dreads about the week ahead, you know it kind of gets to about five six o'clock on a Sunday, and your kind of head is already panicking about the week ahead and um so it's a great practice on a Sunday if you notice that you're starting to feel a bit panicky about the week ahead um, or feeling distracted. A way to take control of that is is to get your diary out. Look at your diary. What is that work week feeling like? You know, are you? is the lots on? Is it back to back meetings? Are you working on your own a lot? Are the tasks a bit boring or, you know, there's all different kinds of feelings that days and weeks can make you feel. And if you feel into that, what is that week feeling like? Then think about, well, what do I need to counteract that? You know, if I'm working on my own a lot, how could I build in, you know, could I build in like a, a lunch with a colleague? Could I go see my friends or go see a comedy night after work or at the weekend? And knowing that you've kind of put these little things in to balance your week out, make a massive, massive difference.
1: Well, we end every podcast with kind of three or four take-home tips for the listeners to kind of reflect on. And you've given us some really helpful um, thoughts there. In terms of things that colleagues could reflect on. Is there anything finally that you want to leave us with in terms of um, thinking about our um, situation, in terms of working in HE, the pressures that that bring, and then thinking about this idea that you've introduced to us in terms of self-care and and well-being. Is there anything further that you you just want to leave the listeners with?
0: Yeah, I I think it's it's that very simple um, three-step process is Check in with yourself in whichever way you want to do that. It might be meditation. It might be the internal weather um, example that we did. It might be journaling. That's a wonderful thing to do first thing in the morning. Check in with yourself. How are you? And then think about, well, what do I need? What do I really need right now to make myself feel well? Is it something relaxing? Is it something happiness and energizing? Is it... um, is it something that kind of is connecting, makes me feel connected with the others? And then really diarise and make that happen. It's It sounds so obvious, doesn't it? But we but we so often don't honour the commitments to ourselves and diarise them like we would meetings. Um, I think one last thing really before we go, and maybe it's a really lovely way to finish it, is gratitude practices are huge. I'm gonna send a little link to the group that I run, that's on Facebook. Um, which you're all w- more than welcome to join. But gratitude practices are scientifically proven to rewire your brain. And so all of those kind of like worries and concerns, that negativity bias that we have in, in the brain that can kind of really go into overdrive with Challenging moments with colleagues and deadlines and workloads and all of that stuff that we can counterbalance that by practicing gratitude And so that whole grandma wisdom of counting your blessings is actually scientifically very sound Mm -hmm. Um, and so if every day you Say talk about with your colleagues or people that you live with or with friends perhaps in a whatsapp group or journal on your own Three things, three great things every day literally rewires your brain to have a more positive experience of of great things that happen. It's kind of an elongated happiness experience. Also shows that people sleep better, that it helps us uh, make more positive things happen in our lives. We tend to kind of reach for more positive behaviors, and it also helps us know ourselves that if we know really deeply the types of things we're grateful for, we're more likely to reach out for the right things in difficult moments.
1: Well, thank you, Sarah. We really, really appreciate your time. There's been some fantastic tips in this podcast, which fit so nicely with our theme of well-being this week. Um, so we really appreciate your time. Thanks for joining us. An absolute pleasure.
2: Well, that was a great conversation with Sarah there. Um, just one of the things that I, I took from the conversation we had was when Sarah spoke about the importance of not having to save up that wellbeing time for a weekend or a holiday, as that often leads to burnout. So what I'm gonna try following Sarah's advice is to try incorporating some of that weekend time into my week, if, if that's possible, especially in the future when the working week becomes a little bit more normal.
1: I think you're absolutely right. And also what one of the things that I was thinking about was actually the relevance that it has to our situation now with us being um, in our homes and working um, off campus. Actually, some of her practical hints and tips to support well-being are really relevant to us now. So thinking about um, getting out for that daily exercise, thinking about engaging with our social networks, doing the things that we've always done or should be doing, but actually just doing them in different ways at the moment. So one of the things that I've been doing recently is meeting up with friends online in the evening. You know, usually we'd meet up for a drink or go out for a coffee, but actually just meeting up on Zoom is really, really important. Also going out for that daily exercise, um, whether it's a run or a walk, really, really important to our well-being. So lots for us to think about there, lots of practical hints and tips for us to try um, at the moment, but also as you say, Matt, in the future when we get back into our usual routines. Please do let us know what you think about this episode. We'd love to hear from you. You can get in touch with us um, by tweeting us at liveuniacademy, and also you can tweet Matt direct at eLearnerMatt and me at Alexandra underscore owen. We've also linked to some further resources on the website. Um, so you can specifically look at resources to do with understanding well-being at liverpool.ac.uk forward slash the hyphen academy forward slash podcast. And there's a reading list there that you can click on.
2: Yeah. And just a note for me to say that we are really grateful for those who have taken the time to either rate or review our show in your podcast providers app. So if you have listened and enjoyed this episode, please rate or even better review the show as it really does help us to get noticed and therefore more people will find us as a result. Bye for now.